You are listening to Share a Slice with Sean. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Share a Slice with Sean. So on this show, I'm thrilled to have on the totally fabulous and amazing Sister Indica. Uh, Sister Indica is a drag nun and a lifetime member of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And we're going to learn all about this organization and what it's like to be in this organization and what it's like to be a drag nun and uh, a little bit about, you know, the struggle for equality and uh, Sister Indica's own personal story a bit about what it's like growing up gay in this tiny, tiny little Michigan town. And uh, Sister Indica also has her own amazing podcast. That's how I actually discovered her. And uh, I think she does an amazing job of really introducing herself in her extraordinary opening theme, which is, it contains pretty much all that we need, disclaimer-wise, uh, for our interview today. So uh, with her permission, I'm just going to lead into the interview with the amazing Sister Indica with her own podcast intro. And again, check out her podcast it's uh, go to sisterindica.com for that. And now, without further ado, the intro and then the podcast. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's Joey Bob. The following program contains strong language, a liberal bias, mind boggling homosexuality, shade, frequent complaining, oversharing, shit talking, the occasional uplifting anecdote and all-around verbal debauchery. All opinions expressed are that of our supreme, the gorgeous and talented Sister Indica. These are not the opinions of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, Work.com, or Elo Drag. Consider this your trigger warning. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, it's Joy Bell. Um, so, Sister Inika, welcome so, so much to the program. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so honored that you asked me to be on your show. And you've got a podcast, it's called Joy Bomb, and I absolutely love it. It's so positive to listen to this show. I mean, even when really? you guys... Well, even when you guys <laughs> go into, like, heavy topics, it just still... The certain amount of joie de vivre, I think, you guys, at least project that uh that's awesome because i always wonder i i like the, i've always thought that the name joy bomb was more ironic because i'm i always think of myself as such a downer <laughs> like i'm not like an upbeat happy person normally i'm more of like a like a loner and like an observer and kind of cynical and a bitch so so i named my show that it was really just irony because i'm the least joyful person <laughs> So I, I'm glad I'm glad I'm fooling you. Either that or I'm so jaded that I listen to the show and it seems super upbeat to me. I love it. I'll take it. I'll accept <laughs> it. So, uh, Sister Indica, let's talk a little bit about, I guess, what this means, Sister Indica. Um, so you are, I guess, what one would maybe consider a drag, a drag nun, right? Correct. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes. Um, yes, I am actually a member of an international organization known as the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. We've been in existence since 1979, 
We were founded in San Francisco, but now there are chapters all over the all over the U.S., all over the world, in Canada, everywhere. I mean, in countries that you would not believe. And what we are is a nonprofit organization that does a lot of fundraising for underfunded charities. We do political activism, and we really just kind of go out and about into our communities and just make people feel better. You know, try to try to bring them joy, like spreading joy and absolving guilt are like the two main things that we're like our, in our mission. So I've been a member of this organization for almost 10 years. And when I created my podcast, it was, it was really going to be like an, a digital extension of my ministry as a sister. So I wanted to kind of do on a podcast what we would do in person, which is to, you know, make people feel better, even though I prefaced it with I'm so negative and a bitch. I do try to make people feel better, um, but I also try to share my life and who I am so that people feel less alone in the world. No matter what they're going through, no matter what their situation or circumstances are, I just want people to feel like, hey, you know what? Someone else out there has experienced that or gets that. So I like to impart that with my with my own life story, but also the story of my guests. I want us to share so people don't feel alone. You have amazing guests on the show. You have guests, you know, mostly within, I guess, the uh, Sisters of Perpetual um, Indulgence. I was doing a little reading, and it looks like it was started by four men who, Mm -hmm. uh, in San Francisco, and they got their hands on some actual real nun habits. Correct. Yeah. Two of our founders were actually, they, they were living in Iowa and they were both very politically active. Uh, one of our founders was the first person to ever have, to ever try to get a, a marriage license as a gay man. And this is back in the, before 79, it's probably 77, 76, 78, whatever. So he's always been a troublemaker, always trying to like, you know, do political activism make, and make waves. And they were part of this drag troupe called the Sugar Plum Fairies. And they went to a, a real convent to get some habits because they were going to do their own version of a sound, The Sound of Music, but like a parody of it and make fun of it. But they didn't <laughs> tell the, 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 the nuns that. They actually sent a, a woman to, on behalf of them to get these habits. So she got the habits. And when, when the founder, this is the founder I'm speaking of, is Sister Vicious Power Hungry Bitch. <laughs> when she was leaving Iowa to move to San Francisco, she was like, you know what? I'm done with drag. I'm going to throw it all away. I'm sick of it. I'm going to just leave this in Iowa and I'm going to start over in San Francisco. She threw all of her drag into the garbage, except the nun's habits. She just, for some reason, felt, hey, let me keep them for whatever reason. Fast forward to Easter weekend of 1979. She and a few other people were hanging out at their house, at their apartment in San Francisco, just bored. And they're like, you know what, let's just throw these habits on and just go out into the neighborhood and just, you know, shake things up and get some uh, looks. And, you know, because this is also during the time in the Castro part of San Francisco, the gay neighborhood of San Francisco, where uh, everyone was pretty much dressing the same. They called it the Castro clone, where they were all wearing Levi's, white t-shirts. Everyone looked the same. They were all like just carbon copies of each other. And that irritated Sister Vicious Power Hungry Bitch. So she's like, let's go let's fuck with them. Let's just throw this on and just, you know, shake things up. And when they did that, three of the, uh, three of the people that went with her did not wear makeup of any kind. They just put the nun's habits on. 
she had a very big uh, love of white clown white and she would use clown white in her drag career in Iowa because when it photographed it was very reflective so she liked the way it kind of photographed but it mm -hmm. also made her become anonymous so she is the only she was the only one to do the clown white that has since become a tradition she was the only one to do it in the beginning so they all go out and it created such a stir that they're like you know what there's something to this and eventually, after, you know, doing a couple more events and, you know, doing things here and there, it really became clear that this was going to be a community service organization. Like they were going to make an actual organization of this and they were going to do work in the community to, you know, like I said, raise money for underfunded charities. They were also, this is also, you know, in the height of the AIDS crisis. So they were also the first organization to create a sex positive, safe sex uh, document to, you know, educate people on, you know, using condoms and playing safe. It's called play fair. And uh, so that was a very big thing for any organization to do back then in the height of this crisis. And just from there, you know, we've spread across the world and all across the United States. And uh, it's, you know, that we still have these same effects in the, in the communities that we work in where there's people are just going, what the hell is this? And you get polarized, you get good and bad responses. But luckily, yeah. luckily for me, for at least my experiences, I've had more positive than negative. I was actually watching a video and they were talking about, I think it was Sister Unity. Oh, I love her. Yeah, she's amazing. Just amazing. And she was talking about this idea of like manifesting. Yes. Like that's the verb that's used. You manifest. Correct. That's what we call it. When we put our makeup on and our habits and we go out to do the work, we call that a manifestation. And I'm OCD, so I count them. I've kept, I've kept track of all of mine. And I think I'm at like the next time I go out will be 240. So 240 times have I done my makeup, put my outfit on and went out in the community to do the work. What is that? That's two dozen times 10. If we want to get really into it. I'm kind of like that. I'm, too. I'm from Detroit. I had Detroit public school <laughs> education. I can't do that kind of math, so I'll trust you. <laughs> and uh, tell me a little bit about how you got into it then because I mean the this group is all around the world mm -hmm. and you've got different houses in different mm -hmm. cities with and they all have I gather they all have subtly different structures and ways to get into the sisterhood i mean where did you enter into the sisters of per perpetual indulgence and and what was that like well, what were the ranks how did it work well the the process is pretty uniform we all are independently operated so even though we all have the same name of sisters of perpetual indulgence we're we're basically independent entities every house is independent like there's no governance that says hey sister indica you're an asshole you're out you know it's not like there's this oversight it's like you know it's all we're all individually maintained but we have to do x y and z in order to get the trademark to use the name to use the trademark so the process of becoming a sister is pretty standard for every order which is you start off as an aspirant and that's just someone who's just hanging out i'm interested i'm going to join but you know it's kind of like let me just kind of feel things out which is, you know, this is just me coming into an event, just how I'm dressed today, like, you know, in my secular clothes, no makeup, nothing like that. And then after a certain period of time, the house decides whether or not they want to, what we call elevate 
to uh, bring you up to that next level. And the next level is postulant. And this follows very much the Catholic Church, the way that a, a, a traditional nun would go through her steps, which is she's a postulant, so she's lower level, she's got her training wheels on, and she's restricted with the way she can dress, the way she, what she can say and what she can't say. Because she's really more in an observational phase where she's observing the sisters, the work that we're doing. She's learning from her bigger sisters. So her time is just to, she's gestating. She's just paying attention. She's absorbing the information. Then after a certain period of time, you're voted on to, know, to, ele to elevate to the next level, which is novice. Novice, that's where you start wearing the veil and it's white, uh, which is pretty traditional amongst all houses, but some are, you know, bucking tradition and going, oh, novices wear, you know, veils of color. And then uh, when they fully profess, then they wear white veils. So either way, you get the novice level, which is still restricted. You're not, you can't really speak on behalf of the order, but you're more now taking what you learned as a postulate and putting it into work. And you have to do a big event of some kind, like a fundraiser or something to show that, hey, I've been paying attention and I can do stuff too. Like once you elevate me to being a fully professed nun, I'll bring something to the table. It's like a test. So you have that, that phase, then you have to do your test, your novice project, your novice event. And then if the sisters feel that, you know, you're really called to do this for the right reasons and you're dedicated and you're a good, and you, and you fit the culture of the house, then they'll vote on you again and you will become fully professed. And once you become fully professed, you are a sister for the rest of your life, unless they kick you out which we do have excommunications. They happen occasionally, they're rare, but from time to time, you have to get, you have to cut a bitch for being, wow. for whatever reasons. I've rarely, it rarely happens, but besides that, aside from that, you are a nun for life. So I began my journey the end of 2008 in San Diego. I went through my entire journey into becoming a black veil, fully professed sister in San Diego. I eventually moved to LA. I was in LA in their house for four years. And then I was in South Florida for a year because I move a lot for my work. So it brings me all around the country. And now I'm living in Phoenix and I'm not a part of the Phoenix house. I'm not a Phoenix sister. I'm just sister Indica, who's a sister for life. And she's kind of doing her own thing. Speaking of doing your own thing, uh, you recently did a big event uh, called Project Nunway Phoenix, right? Yeah, I w uh, that was the Phoenix the Phoenix House uh, organized and put this event on. Oh, okay. And they just asked me to be the host. So, oh, okay. because they know, hey, you got a big mouth, you're fine on a microphone, I'll have you just go ahead and do that. And forgive the sounds in the background, I live in the city, so you're hearing the sounds of the city. This is Phoenix. Central Phoenix That's in all its glory. Soundscape. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so it was a wonder wonderful event. We raised a lot. I don't know the total that we raised, but I know that it was a sold out standing room only event, and it was fantastic. And it was just one of the things that we do to raise money, to bring awareness to what we're doing in the community, and just to have fun. Like that's really what it what it boils down to. No matter what we're doing, we want to inject fun, even if it's political activism. Like we'll march in a per a protest or a parade, and we'll have you know funny signs like we're we're clowns for god's sake we're sacred clowns we're the holy fool we're the jester we're the ones that are you know telling the emperor he's not wearing any clothes that's our job so that's what it really boils down to as being a sister is we're fun we're here to have a good time the work is serious but we really we really can't take ourselves too seriously and that's one of the things i really like about 
the sisters. And that's why I, I still am so active after all these years, even though I'm not really tied to a house, I'm still active. I still do stuff because the work is just, it really is so much, so much fun. Did you have any inklings of uh, this desire as you were growing up? Oh, no. I didn't even know the sisters until I didn't even hear, I didn't even know they existed until I was, oh God, in my 20s and I was living in San Diego. And I wasn't really mm -hmm. doing anything in the community because before I became a sister, my whole life, besides, you know, my day job, which just only to pay the bills, it wasn't my passion. My passion in life was music. And I was a mm. singer songwriter since I was 15 years old. I made my first record when I was 15. Like that was my path. That was my goal. That's everything I was about. I didn't have, there was no room in my mind or my life for anything else. That was my path. That's who I was. That's what I was. So I would observe things. I would see things, but I would never even consider that I would ever depart from that path in my life or even just media in general, because I also, before I became a sister, I had a radio show. Cool. So with, with, which featured my best friend, Big Mel, who was a regular a guest on Joy Bomb. But we had our own show beforehand. So the media was always something I was very into. And it got to a point in my music career, I use quotes, career, that I was like, you know, the whole reason I did music is the whole reason I do Joy Bomb. It's the whole reason I'm a sister. It's all the same it all boils down to the same thing, which is connecting with people and making them feel that they're not the only ones that experience X, Y, and Z. I've had a very wild, traumatic childhood and life. And I, the, I've always looked at all of those experiences as that I wasn't a victim of circumstance. I wasn't being punished by God or anything like that. I, I always saw it as you're going through this, this, and this because you're going to then show others that they can overcome it. So that was the whole point of me doing music, but I didn't feel like you spend a year writing an album, recording it, all the money and time that goes into recording a record, then you release it, then you're marketing it for a year or two. And it was just so like, I felt very disconnected from the listener. Right. It's, I was just putting it out there and then who knows the impact it would have if it had any at all, unless they told me and not everyone writes their artist and says, hey, your album really did something for me. So I just felt very disconnected. I wasn't getting that that connection to people that I really wanted. So I would see the sisters in the pride parades. That's really the only way I saw them was in the pride parades. And they were always my favorite part. There was just something about the way they looked. It was something about the nun's habit, the makeup, the tomfoolery, the shenanigans, just the, their energy. And I would watch from a distance and go, oh my God, that is so cool. But again, never would even consider that I would do that. And, but I got to a point where I'm like, you know what, this just, I love doing music and I'll always do music in, in some way. I will always be a musician. I will always be a songwriter. I'll always do it in some capacity, but it just wasn't fulfilling me enough. And my partner, it was actually his idea. He's like, you know, cause we would then start to see them in our uh, neighborhood, like at neighborhood bars and stuff. We'd see them kind of, you know, milling around. He's like, you should just join them. You're really into it. You really like it. You're not being fulfilled. You need something. Why don't you just join them? Because it's taking your, because I've always had an interest in drag. I just, you know, really didn't act on it, but I was always very drawn to drag and interested in it. And this was a really great way to take my interest in drag, my uh, talents in the media, and my desire to give back and to do more that was less self-focused. 
which I'm a narcissist, so it's very difficult for me to look outside myself. So this was a new thing. So it was a great way to combine all of that. And then I finally got the courage to approach a sister and say, hey, I'm interested in joining. I think I'm ready to make that commitment because it's a commitment. Like you are, there's a year, it takes a year to become a sister, at least a year to even become one. So I knew it would take a lot of work, a lot of effort, and I would have to humble myself because I was out of control and I wasn't the one in control making this, the decisions, which was very new for me because I was an artist always doing, self-producing my stuff and it was always my, on my terms. So I got to that point where I'm like, okay, I'm ready to humble myself, to put myself before others for judgment because they're going to sh- size up if I'm right for this and I, if I make the cut and it's going to take me a year to even become a sister. But I said, once I focus on this, like, that's my passion now. Like that's my focus. So from that point forward, this has been my, my passion. And I've just been lucky that I've been able to take my talents that I had before becoming a sister. And I was able to merge them with my show joy bomb. I was really happy that I was able to connect the two and do that. There may even be a record in the future where I will combine those two, but at this point I still have not done that. I've kept them very separate. So maybe people might have a misconception or people who've never heard of the group might say, oh, you know, it's just a, a bunch of uh, drag queens who get together, or put on nuns' habits and have fun. But it sounds like it's not only that. Correct. There's a great deal of work. There's a lot of work. Goes into There's it a lot well. of work behind the scenes that people do not see. There's a lot of um, struggle because it is, you know, it's not only are we doing the work that you're seeing in, in person, but there's a business behind it. So it's every, it's like, we're not just, well, at least for me, I mean, I'm not connected to the business now because I'm just, I'm not really connected to any house, but for sisters that are connected to a house and they're a part of a uh, organization, they're running a business as well. I mean, we have meetings, we have positions, there's president, vice president, there's a secretary, there's a treasurer, you know, it's, it's a real nonprofit organization. So sometimes people will join thinking that it's just a bunch of fun and it is, don't get me wrong. It's a fucking lot. Can I swear? Oh yeah, absolutely. Thank God. God, it's so hard being censored. Let it go. Oh, it is so much fucking fun. It is so much fun. So it is, don't get me wrong. It's a ton of fun, but you're also running a business behind the scenes. And a lot of people do not expect that. And it's hard for some people to make that, to make, to be able to balance both because not everyone is a business person. Luckily for me, I also work in the business world. So for me, I loved the business side of things. I loved, you know, the organization of an, the, or, the structure of an organization and working within those rules and parameters and you know, the fundraising and the, all, all the stuff that was the business side, I really liked, but not everyone likes it because not everyone has that interest or talent or passion. They just want to have fun. So, so the year process to becoming a sister is that we're sussing each other out. You're making sure that you want to join this group of type A personalities that will often disagree passionately. Uh, So you're deciding if you want to get involved in that for the rest of your life and vice versa, we're deciding, is this person only here for the fun? Are they actually going to attend the meetings and hold positions and do the work, the actual work work behind the scenes? Hmm, doesn't seem like they are. Seems they just want to get in makeup and go get drunk and have fun. Okay, well, guess what? Goodbye. And we don't let them through. It is a gift to become a sister. And I looked at it that way. I looked at it as an honor. I looked at it as a gift. 
And so I don't think that it's an honor that should necessarily just be doled out to any person that just walks through the doors. Yes, anyone can become a sister. doesn't matter if you're male, female, straight, gay, trans. It doesn't matter. It's rich, poor. We have no qualifications other than you know, demonstrating that you're really here for the right reasons, which is to further our mission of spreading joy, absolving guilt, and that you're actually going to um, pull your weight. I would imagine the demographics is probably, you know, probably mainly gay men. Yes. Uh, however, I mean, I guess you just need to be queer in some way, shape or form to really find that appealing. I mean, you don't need to be gay to to find it interesting. And uh, I guess there are a few, at least a few straight people in the group. There's many straight people in the group, M- many straight women in the group. There are a few straight mm-hmm. men in the group not many mm-hmm. but there are a few straight men uh, many straight women or gay women or trans women we do have a lot more women than you would think and sometimes i guess maybe in, even in seeing pictures or seeing sisters like you may not even know oh that they're a woman they're a woman right. <laughs> you know because you know we all kind of <laughs> just blend in i mean it's like if you have a beard or don't have a beard like most sisters have beards they're mostly older men right you know it's what people are doing in their retirement our demographic skews much older the older retired gay man with a beard (laughs) so anyone other than that is like an exception to the rule but as time has gone on that exception has grown and there are some chapters there's a chapter in uh russian river which is in california north of san francisco about two hours in the middle of this beautiful redwoods farmland it's wine country it's amazing and i would say they have more women as sisters than they do men wow san diego has probably half half the sisters in san diego are women straight or lesbian or trans i can kind of see the appeal i mean uh you know it it gives you a way to put on this mask and i don't mean mask in a bad way i mean it's like you're you're putting on this mask that allows you to sort of shine out and be a different person than your secular life, right? Yes. You're stepping outside of the shackles of uh, workaday society with all of its types and what have you, and you're saying, no, I, I, I'm going to set that aside, I'm going to break free, and I'm going to be Sister Indica. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It truly is a quote-unquote mask. I'm not putting white on my neck and my chest to like blend it all in to look like I'm dead. I'm just, oh, okay. it's, it is literally a mask for that same reason. And it's not that, that we're becoming somebody else. Like I am mm. who I am. And, and, and it's just like anyone else too. It's like, you know, when you're at work, you present your professional demeanor. And then when you're at home with your partner, you're different with them. When you're with your mother, you're going to act differently. When you're with your best friend, you're going to act differently. When you're, you know, there's, everyone has multi, you know, all multidimensional sides to them. And some sides just never get an outlet. You know, they're just hidden. So they're just hidden. And I've always, I've always used the like analogy of a house. You know, there are different rooms in a house. Well, Indica is my attic. She's a part of the house. But people don't usually go up into the attic or the attic doesn't get the, you know, the fresh air that it needs. So it's a part of me that I just did not have a a, a way to uh, express before. 
but it's not a different personality. It's not a, I'm not putting on a persona. It's just a different side of me that normally doesn't get a way to uh, be expressed. And now I found a way to do that. And everyone has that side or different sides to them that still aren't being expressed. Uh, but maybe they need some, maybe, maybe people paint. Maybe they're really great chefs. You know, there's always, there's just some, it's just a way to channel and to express sides of you that you're not going to present at work or at home or with your family. It's interesting because I even noticed this with my grandparents. Um, they were like less stressed out and they gave many fewer mm -hmm. fucks than my parents. I don't know if maybe that might explain why, you know, when these guys get older, they, they join the sisterhood is because they, it's like they didn't have a job or any of this shit tying them down. So they just, they no longer gave as much of a, it's like they were no longer as victim or held down by what other people expected from them. And they could just be them. Yeah. And they also spent so many years and I'm kind of in the middle of that, you know, that like, I'm not a retirement age, but I'm not a millennial. I'm like between being old and young. I'm like in that I'm middle-aged. I'm almost 40 years old. So, but I grew up in a time mm. where, you know, it was still the height of the AIDS crisis, you know? So there was fear and, and you were in the closet, even though I came out when I was very young, I was like 14, 15 when I came out and I was living in a right. very conservative, scary part of the country in America that it was not smart to be out of the closet, but I was like, fuck this. I'm going to be who I am. So these older men, you know, they didn't have that, even have that chance to do, like a lot of them ended up getting married, having children. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, I can even count how many sisters I know that were previously married and have adult children and grandchildren. So yeah, they do get to express this side of themselves that was, that was held back. You know, I get to express a side of myself that was also held back, even though I came out at a relatively young age. You know, there's just, your whole world is shaped by society shunning you and 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 it being wrong and then you have the the guilt of religion and all this kind of stuff so a lot of these people older men or even people that are middle-aged we're like saying you know what this is our time to right those wrongs to to help people get over what we had to go through and now a lot of these younger sisters who are you know in their early 20s which i'm like wow people want to be sisters and they're this young that they want to do community service that's really I was so fucking selfish in my 20s. I, I'm always amazed and, 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 really, and really proud of anyone that's young that wants to do anything good for the world. I'm like, whoa, really? You're not self-centered like me? Okay, wow, good for you. It took me until I was 30 to figure that shit out. So they are growing up in a time where they can be out of the closet all throughout middle school and high school and, and, their, parents, and their parents are fine with it. It's a non-issue. It blows my mind. Yeah, me too. I'm 43, so I mean, I remember growing up and I remember the thought of two men or two women getting married was like, it blew my mind. I'm like, oh, that'll never happen. So now these days where it's perfectly normal, where, you know, my son comes home from school and he talks about how, you know, one of his uh, friend's moms came to pick his friend up. And it's like, it doesn't even, there's no, it's like perfectly normal right. for him. And it's just amazing. Almost brings a tear to my eye. It it's does amazing. to me too, because I just I know what a struggle it's been. Where I grew up, and I grew up pretty much in the southeastern Lower Michigan, so Detroit area and surrounding areas, where I was either living in the city or I was living in the country. And I'm talking pig farms, cow f fields, and crops, farms. <laughs> like where Big Mel and I met, 
uh, it's in the middle of nowhere, and and all we can see is farmland and nu- a nuclear power plant cooling towers in the distance. It's flat. It's just the middle of nowhere. So it was a very, I mean, racist, homophobic, xenophobic, ignorant. I mean, the 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 Ku Klux Klan had a huge stronghold. I mean, I my my best friend Holy. was in the closet. We were in the closet. My other best friend, not Big Mill, this guy. Uh, we were, he was in the closet for many years. We were both kind of like discovering our sexualities at the same time. I came out before he did publicly. He was more scared because his mother was in the clan. Holy fuck. So it's like, I mean, it was really, you know, my brother hung out with white supremacists. Like it was very in my face all throughout my childhood and my adolescence. It was a scary place in a scary time. So to go from that to seeing people, you know, being like, like you're saying children going, oh yeah, my, my friend's got two moms, my friend's got two dads, and it's not even an issue. It's like, a, it just boggles my mind that, that at least in some areas, yeah, that there's been that much progress. I mean, I wouldn't say there's been that much progress where I'm from because I was just visiting there recently and I got a pretty good glimpse of, oh yeah, they haven't moved that far. <laughs> the needle hasn't moved that much, but it has moved slightly, but not enough for my taste, but at least in other places, more, you know, urban places, you have these experiences where children are just like, hey, who gives a shit? I don't care if it's not even an issue, someone's race or someone's sexuality or whatever. Who cares? You'd have kids coming out as trans, which that is like, whoa, okay, well, Jesus, like that's, are you kidding me? That would never have happened when I was a kid. Think of how less fucked up right. those kids will be. Right, and, it's, and that's what a lot of people don't understand is like, if you're a, a, a gay person of a certain age, you know, if you're not one of these young people that is growing up in a climate like this, if you grew up in the other climate, you're fucking screwed up. Like, I'm still unwinding and undoing the damage that was caused to me from having to live, you know, live a life like that. I was like, I had to, the guilt you feel and the, and you feel awful about yourself because you're different and you're isolated and you're an outsider and you're pushed to the side. And, you know, all of these feelings and all, all of the way that it shapes your psyche, how it shapes your idea towards sexuality and sex, like we're broken because of the, what we had to, what we had to live through. And I think that's where a lot of people are like, Oh, that bitter old queen, or you know, if they see someone who's older, it's like, well, yeah, they're fucked up, they're bitter, they're angry because they've had to live a lie for so many, so much longer than you did. You didn't have to live a lie. You got to come out, and there was no lie. So we had to suffer the slings and arrows, and the and being killed, abused, you know, gay bashed, all these things that we had to put up with, that we had, and we fought and fought and fought for kids to have this be a non-issue so yeah we're fucking damaged so hopefully with the work that i'm doing as a sister and the older generation is also doing as a sister it's one way because as we're spreading joy as we're absolving the guilt of others which you know i'm like look i'm not absolving anybody's guilt let's be real i'm not absolving anyone's guilt all i can do is say hey you should you don't have to feel this way whether you do or not, it's your choice. I can't absolve your guilt. You can absolve it yourself. But let me tell you that it's okay to be who you are. And you can, you know, it's okay. Don't feel guilty. You don't need to feel guilty. As we're doing that, it's, we're doing it for ourselves as well. So even though it is a selfless act, yeah, it is also a selfish act. Because as we're giving joy to others, 
we're giving joy to ourselves. As we make people feel better about who they are, it's slowly chipping away and healing those parts of ourselves. And that's, that's probably, that's probably the, the best thing about being a sister is those moments with people when you're just one-on-one, it's not a fundraiser, it's not an event, we're just doing bar ministry where we're going bar hopping, mingling with people, having fun. You'd be surprised at all of the deep emotional conversations that we get into with people that they probably would not get into with a drag queen. It's more than just someone doing the drag queen thing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Oh, no, I love drag. But there's like an additional level of like, uh, you're there to do work, right. basically. They know you're there. It's, it's like any kind of clergy, yes. if you think about it. Even if some of us, like, I, I know me especially, I'm not, there's like a range of, you know, how nunly do you look? How much do you emulate the look of a right. nun? And there's like, we actually, a sister many years ago created a scale, the nun factor. And you get one point <laughs> if you wear, you know, your coronet, which is what we call our headpiece, which is where, you know, our wimple with the veil. One point for that. One point if you wear a bib, which is that thing that goes on top, you know, that traditional nun collar that you see. You get a point if you wear a black dress that has long sleeves, you know, like a traditional nun's habit. You get a point for that. You get all these points, basically. And the more points you have, the more nunly you are presenting yourself to the world. I probably get a one because I always wear my coronet and veil. But other than that, I very much follow a quote unquote drag look, even with my makeup, even with my outfits. Like I'm doing, and a lot of sisters would not consider that what they, what they do drag. I consider what I do drag. I'm definitely doing drag. But even though I'm an, a one on the nun scale, nun, nun factor scale, people still get it. Because I think it's, it's, it's not just a visual thing, it's an energetic thing. It's an energy that you have around yourself, that, you're, that it's like a frequency that you're emitting. So people know, hey, this person is not just here to take pictures with me, they're here for me to talk to. Like I, they, they just pick that up. And so we'll get into very deep conversations and I've, you know, people crying, people, you know, revealing all sorts of very deep personal things. And they feel better when it's done because they've had a chance to, you know, cry and get it out and express their feelings. And sure, they may be drunk, but either way, it's cathartic for them. And then it's also, you know, it means something to me too that, hey, the fact that you wanted to spend that time with me and share this with me. It's, a, it's an honor. I take the work seriously, very seriously, and I take my commitment to being a nun very seriously, even though I may not look the most nunly, I may not act the most nunly, but you know what? I'm broken. I'm flawed. I've got tons of problems, but guess what? Other people have problems too, and I'm, I'm right there with you guys working out my problems. I'm a normal person just trying to get through life. And I think people respond to that because they don't feel judged. Let's jump right into some interesting questions people might have. So I guess one might be have to do with, um, you know, how long does it take to put on all that that makeup? Do you have issues afterwards, you know, eating, drinking, uh, too much heat, sweat? Like, what's the deal going on with those technical things? My God. (laughs) And I live in Phoenix where I don't, I mean, I know you're Canadian. I don't know how much Canadians know about Fahrenheit versus Celsius, but it gets to be like 115 degrees Fahrenheit here uh, regularly throughout the summer. 
So I live in a very hot climate. I was living in South Florida as well, equally hot, but humid. And then I've lived in San Diego. I lived in LA. Everywhere I've lived, the climate's been totally different. And the challenges have been different based on the places I've lived. Yes, it is a challenge dealing with heat, dealing with, because uh, uh, makeup reacts differently. And just even the putting the application of it, not even the keeping of it on, like just applying makeup. Makeup takes on different uh, textures and stuff, depending on how humid or how dry or how hot. It's a crapshoot. Every time I do my face, I'm just rolling the dice, hoping it looks good. Hoping it looks decent, even though if it doesn't look decent, it doesn't matter to me. I've more often than not, do I go out going, Mm -hmm. ugh, I look awful. But guess what? It's not about my look. It's about my work. So who cares? I'm going out anyway. So it takes about one and a half to two hours to do my makeup. And it's, I've tried to cut it down. I've tried to shorten certain things and it always, no matter what I try, it always works out to be about one and a half to two hours. And I do not eat when I'm in face. When I'm in face, mm. I will drink out of a straw. That's fine. A straw helps everything. Drinking is no problem. I will not eat until like the very, very end of the night. Maybe I'll, we'll go out for, for food. But more often than not, I just go home and I go to bed. <laughs> and I try to eat before I get ready. And usually when we're getting ready, it's when people are eating dinner. Right. So... Yeah. Usually if you see me, if you see me in face out and about somewhere, know that I'm probably fucking starving (laughs) and I'm uncomfortable because I'm in heels and I'm and it's hot and I'm wearing shapewear and I'm wearing, you know, like it's not, there's nothing comfortable about being in drag, being a sister, being in face. Cause then I'm wearing a coronet. My coronet, the design of it is literally a pillow on my head. So I can barely hear you too. So I'm wearing a pillow on my head, covering my ears. That's hot. On top of, you know, the makeup, on top of the shapewear, on top of the drag, on top of the heels. Right. Then factor in the heat, factor in what's going on outside. It's, yeah, it's a struggle. The struggle is real. But it's so much fun that I put up with it. Are there any perils? Like, did you have any horrible wardrobe uh, breakdowns? Or you ever, I mean, on those heels, you ever fall down? You might. The, the risk is real, right? I have seen people fall down because I, look, let's be real. Anyone over 200 pounds has no reason to be in stiletto heels. Your weight can't support it. It will make you, you'll be in pain all night long. You won't even really be able to walk because it's not practical. So I've always been very aware of my weight and aware of my heel size the shape the the height everything so i know we'll, we'll be doing a lot of walking and and what and what we do we're walking from here to there we're doing and i know i'll be on my feet a lot so i've always been very smart about my shoes <laughs> but other sisters who are just so in want to look great i seen i saw one sister she's probably six foot five out of heels just normally as a man and then wore like wow. she's on seven inch stilettos holy and we were running across the street because we had to cross the street from one bar to the next. This was in South Florida. And she just fell down in the middle of the street, scraped up her knees, fell on her face. Her face was, she was all bleeding. We get to the bar, we, you know, because again, it's just right across the street. We get her, sit her down. We're like attending to her wounds and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I have seen people fall down 
many times. Not quite, that was the worst I ever saw, but I mean, stumble, you know, because again, they're too tall, their heels are too high, they want to look too cute, and they're just not being sensible. I've always been sensible, so I've never had those types of issues, but I've had more issues with just my makeup not coming out right or, you know, just it looking not as good as it could because of the elements. Most people's bar is set really low. So what I think looks absolutely awful, 90% of people would think looked amazing. Shaving. I mean, that must be a big issue for, I guess not for some of the, well, I guess a lot of the sisters, they have beards, so it doesn't really matter, right? It would... A lot of the sisters don't shave. Yes, you're right. A lot of sisters have beards. For me, I don't really grow a good beard mm. where I would want to, like, I don't, I don't maintain a beard in my secular life. I never have. I just don't like, I, I grow kind of patchy facial hair. Mm -hmm. So I've never been a beard person or a goatee person or a mustache person. But I also like the fact that with being a sister, I get to very much express my feminine side. Mm -hmm. And a lot of sisters can merge the two and sometimes even be more masculine than feminine in their presentation and in their, in their look and their everything. It's like kind of a, a, a mix, like a gender fuck kind of thing. And, and it's playing right. with, with ideas of gender. And they look amazing and they pull it off well. You will never, ever, ever see me with facial hair it will never happen it never has happened it never will happen because that is not my aesthetic it's not my vibe it is not my expression so i always shave before i get in face i'll usually have like stubble throughout the week otherwise but i'll clean shave before i get ready and it doesn't really present a lot of challenges to me because i also don't shave elsewhere mm -hmm. you know i'm also not a very hairy too hairy of a person so I don't really shave really elsewhere. I'll trim, but I don't really shave. So it's not really an issue for me. And like you said, yeah, for most sisters that are men, they have beards. I'm in minority for not having a beard. Well, I mean, it depends. I mean, I know that when I start growing a beard, I get kind of itchy and I, mm -hmm. I just don't like it because it's like I have a sensitive face. So I can feel me too. the hair when I have a beard. It actually kind of hurts if I push me on too. the hair. It feels like I have shards of glass on my face it, it is so painful same thing yeah so i yeah. i will i can get it to a certain level but then i have to shave i'll like trim it down or i'll completely shave with a razor uh but i do typically maintain like a stubble because i like to like in my secular life i'm pretty masculine presenting you know mm -hmm. I, I always have stubble of some kind you know i look like just your normal 40 year old middle-aged white guy and it's very, I'm, I'm presenting a very masculine appearance. And, but then when I'm Sister Indica, when I'm out, I do get to completely express a feminine side. And I try to make it as feminine as possible. I, I like being able to express both parts of me. Sounds kind of fun to me. I don't want to merge them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to merge them. Like some people are like, well, I'm going to have my beard. And I'm like, you know what? You look great. Beard ain't for me. That would fuck with my illusion. That would fuck with my expression. It would, I don't like it. So it will never happen. You'll never, ever see me with facial hair. Tell me a little bit about the Golden Girls, because <laughs> I, I, coming from a guy who's on the outside, because I, I had a previous guest on the show, and she loves watching RuPaul, and she uh -huh. also is a huge fan of the Golden Girls. And then I, I, I'm, you know, just doing some research before this interview, and I see, like, there's, like, this 
Broadway show that's being done by, by looks like by drag queens mm -hmm. about the Golden Girls. And, yeah. and on your show, you guys are always like, you guys are like, it's like kind of like Seinfeld or, or, or other shows like that, like where you guys just pull out in like little like situations on the Golden Girls. What's the deal with the Golden Girls? Well, I think, well, first of all, I think a lot of gay men wrote for the Golden Girls. Hmm. So I think a lot of, there's a lot of gay humor or just, you know, humor that is very appealing to, you know, our community and growing up and watching that, like i my humor, the hu sense of humor I have is completely shaped by the Golden Girls and Roseanne. Those mm. are like my two, cause the show Roseanne was essentially my life. That was my family. That was right. my town. That was so like, Roseanne is so much like my mother. It's not even funny. You know, the parallels were very in deep in Roseanne. One of the daughters, she was gay too, right? In that show? I think she was. No, not in the show, but in real oh, life. Sarah Gilbert okay. uh, was lesbian, but she was straight on the show. But I just, I was just, and I was totally Darlene. And that's the character you're talking about. That was so me, sarcastic, mm -hmm. bitchy, just a dry sense of humor, you know, always has a smart comment. Like that was totally me. But Golden Girls, the bitchy humor, the funny, the sassy zingers, the one-liners, just the whole, I mean, it was, it was everything. I just, I loved it so much. I also really love old people, <laughs> especially old women. I was raised around older people. My friends in my personal life, because it was like, if I wasn't, because we moved around a lot, so I didn't have a lot of friendships that carried, because this is back before the internet. So I would move every year or two. But we always had common like, family friends that were always consistent no matter where we lived. And they were usually older women. And then when I first started having like, jobs as a kid, I was working at like, the VFW. I don't know if you have that in Canada, but it's like an Elks Lodge or whatever. It's like, you know, veterans okay. of foreign wars. Veterans have these places and they have events and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I would work there and my bosses were old ladies. My coworkers were old ladies. So I was, they were just always in my life. And I always revered my elders. I always respected and loved my elders because I felt I related to them more than people my own age. I was just a mature soul. So the show of all older women who are not living the life of a stereotypical older person you know, right. they're alive, they're vibrant, they have vibrant sex lives, they, they, have, they have lives, you know, they're not just retired and, and hanging out at home, they actually do stuff, they do events, they, I mean, they're very busy, and very sarcastic, like the humor, I just, and I still watch it because it never ages, even though some of the references age, you know, if they're talking about certain, you know, celebrities or people, I'm like, who the hell is, who the hell are they talking about, I don't even know them, who the hell they're talking about. But they're just so funny. Like a lot of the humor is just timeless. It still holds up. And they tackled really progressive issues that a lot of other shows didn't touch. They talked, they tackled AIDS. They tackled, uh, you know, gayness. They tackled gay marriage. All of the stuff far before society embraced it and was ready for it. They were very cutting edge. But it really is. It's the humor. My obsession with the Golden Girls is very, very deep to the fact, to the part, to the fact that I actually have a golden girls room oh really like a shrine or something a room a room so it's my spare bedroom <laughs> and i uh, my boyfriend my partner he was like we gotta de golden girls this a bit like this is just too much 
Like I have so many different <laughs> pictures. I have an autographed eight by 10, you know, with all their signatures that I, that he got me on eBay. I have like, you know, artwork and all this kind of stuff. Like I take it to a, a level that he's just like, okay, look, I love you. And I love the golden girls too. Don't get me wrong, but we need to shake it up a bit. It's getting just to be a little too much golden girls. But if I had my druthers, it would be wall to wall, nothing but golden girls because yeah, I worship them. I need a shrine. There were two shows that my parents hated when I was growing up and wouldn't let me watch. One was MASH and one was the Golden Girls. Ah, we watched both in my house. So you should have came over to my house. We were totally all about MASH and all about Golden Girls. Exactly, exactly. Looking back now, I I can kind of tell why they they didn't like them. Well, yeah, they were, yeah, they were... Kind of a bit, uh, let's put the word, let's, let's say euphemistically, they were rather conservative. Let's right. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And this was not that these were in Roseanne too. Like that was not a show a conservative person would watch, even though now Roseanne is a Trump supporter and it breaks my heart that and I will not my be, fucking mind. I will not be supporting her, her reboot of her show. And I unfollowed her from Twitter, even though she follows me, I had to unfollow her because I just can't, I can't, I have to, I have to stand up for something. I have to make a stand and. I had to say, no, I'm sorry. I just can't support you anymore. You're insane. I love you, but you're crazy. Wow. That, that is uh, yikes. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any uh, advice for young nunlings that might be listening to this show? Like, not nunlings, but you know what I mean. Uh, young people who realize, wait a minute. This is really what I want to get into. And maybe they're still living with their parents or maybe they're, you know, confused or, you know, they're stuck. They feel they're stuck with life. Do you have any advice for them? Yes, I would say if there's if it's for a younger person that's struggling and they're still with their parents and they're just having a a hard time being who they are, I would say the same thing I would tell my younger self if I could go back to my teenage self and give some advice would just to be hold on because yeah there will become a time where you will be in control and you can shape the life you have again i grew up in conservative uh very ignorant area of the country and i have i now live where i choose and i surround myself with people that lift me up and the people that don't support me i have completely just eliminated from my life they're not a factor so if it's bullies in school if it's family members you know what in 20 years you won't even remember the people's the bullies names that bullied you in high school you won't even remember them because i at my 20th reunion or at that that time where we had our 20th reunion we were trying to plan it and looking at some of the names and I, i did not even remember half these people so hold on i can't say that it gets better because it's up to you you need to decide if it gets better. No one's going to make it better for you. It's all in your hands. And uh, just, yeah, hold on. It, you, you can, uh, you, it can get better. Would you say that things have gotten better in society as a whole? I mean, other than that crazy orange anomaly and control of your country there. I think things have gotten better a little bit. I don't think it's mm-hmm. as much progress as we should be at, we should have at this point i think it's kind of yeah. uh i don't get it i don't get how society is still because when it boils down to it women still aren't seen as equal people of color no. st- still aren't seen as equal so i'm sorry and i hate to be the person that says this but being gay being trans 
sorry, we're a little bit farther down the list. So we need to make sure that like until women are equal, gay people will never be equal because a lot of the issues, right. a lot of the issues people have with homosexuality or being trans all traces back to toxic masculinity, which impacts women. So until women are equal, gays and trans, whatever, all the whole alphabet will never be equal. And until people of color are equal, like, oh my God, like seriously, someone's origin determines anything to you, like their color of their skin or where they're from, or are you that like, you're that dumb that that actually makes a difference. Like get a life. It's where someone's from. It's, it's so insignificant. And the fact that it's any importance to anybody depresses me. So we still have a lot of work to do. And unfortunately, that may mean that it may take a little bit longer for us to truly become equal, but we need to band together and we need to, we need to help our, uh, those uh, people of color and women. We need to help them. We need to help them achieve the equality. We need to be fighting with and for them. And then only then can the rest of us get it too. But we can't just be selfish and myopic and only concerned about our own equality because until they get it, we're not going to get it. And it's going to be, we're going to always be fighting a losing battle. Even though we made progress, we're, we're not there yet. And we won't be there yet until women and people of color have equality. Everything runs into everything else. I think you're right yes. about the toxic max, masculinity as well. The root of all evil, not money. It's toxic masculinity is the root of all the world's problems. Trace it all back. You will find the connections. Do you have any parting words? So you're trying to steal my thing? You're trying to steal my thing on Joy Bomb where I ask for people's parting words? Oh no, did I say that? You did. You're a thief. Oh yes, you do. <laughs> I said it first. I've had a show longer. It's mine. Um, yes, I do. Actually, as a matter of fact, I always have parting words. And my parting words would be, besides making sure that you're subscribed to Joy Bomb on iTunes, shameless Absolutely. plug, other than that, I would say you are perfect as you are. You don't need to change. Just have fun. No matter what it is that you do in life, just have fun. Life is way too short. You're not here long. It goes by so quickly that you just, you need to let it, let go, let go or be dragged. Those are my final words. Let go or be dragged. Have fun in life. Absolutely. Listen, Sister Indica, thanks so, so much for being on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So thanks so, so much for listening to this episode. That wraps up another one. Um, I'd like to thank Sister Indica for being on the show. And I'd like to encourage you to go to sisterindica.com. Now, as always, the links will be in the show notes. Uh, Indica is I-N-D-I-C-A. And uh, check out her amazing podcast. I listen to it weekly. It's Joy Bomb, with a space between the joy and the bomb. And you can find that in iTunes and all the usual places, or just go to sisterindica.com. Um, for the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, just check them out at thesisters.org. And you can find all the information there, all their history, everything that's going on. You can really help me out by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever, actually, and just email me at uh, shareslicepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, I will read that review on the air. So two reviews, uh, recent ones. The first one is 
not your typical interview show. Sean has a variety of guests that talk, you guessed it, a variety of topics. There are a lot of interview podcasts, but Sean has a way of making the conversation flow and sound natural. If you want to hear what an interview podcast should sound like, this is it. And for that amazing review, I'd like to thank BS Pod PHX, and uh, I'll be putting a link to his podcast in the show notes. So thank you so, so much for that review. Uh, another review is by Vicky from Fat Girl Chronicles, which is just a delightful podcast. I highly recommend you listen to that. And it goes, awesome interviews. Great show with great interviews that are engaging and keep you wanting more. Very well done. Remember, check out the Fat Girl Chronicles. It's a, a show all about food and who doesn't like food. There'll be a link in the show notes for that as well. Um, I had a really kind shout out from uh, subgenius Reverend Pease and the gang over at uh, Time for the Show on Freethink Radio. That's at hypercubelaboratory.com slash time for the show. And uh, they're on the Freethink Radio Network and uh, along with this show. And uh, I also got a very, very kind shout out from the guys at the fantastic podcast Project Archivist. The topics of this show actually kind of overlap pretty neatly with my own. They cover some of the more quirky things, uh, some more sort of subgenius, subgenius, yes, subgenius stuff, but also subculture stuff as well. And uh, I'm going to be ending off this podcast episode, actually, with uh, their short promo for their podcast. So check that out. As always, uh, the theme music for this show is generously given to me by the Fantastic Plastics. They are originally playing over at South by Southwest in Austin. So super amazing, great band. I had them on the show before. Check out that episode. And uh, yeah, I hope you'll be back for the next episode. Thanks so, so much for listening. Bye-bye. Project Archivist is a podcast that talks about the science of tomorrow, the lost history of our past, spirituality, and the paranormal. Join us as your hosts Rojan and Lobo take a different look at the world around us through discussion and guest interviews. Find us on iTunes or visit us in the archives at www.projectarchivist.com.